0: On Change the World Today, we'll be discussing mental health issues. If you or anyone you know needs help, please call. Lifeline on 131114. Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Suicide Callback Service on 1300 If you are in immediate danger, call 000.
1: Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Right now on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.
3: Hello and welcome to Treatment the World with Matt McQuinley. We're continuing our eight-part series on mental health and mental illness today. And today we're going to talk about anxiety disorder. It's an affliction that affects 18% of adults over 18 years of age. Only 37% of people seek treatment. In Australia, approximately 14.5% or one out of seven people suffer from anxiety disorder, or approximately 2.7 million people in Australia. According to the WHO, 3.6% of people around the world suffer from anxiety disorders. That equates to about 264 million people worldwide. Anxiety is a mental health disorder characterized by feelings of worry, anxiety, or fear that are strong enough to interfere with one's daily life. These feelings are out of proportion to the seriousness of the event, and there's an inability to set these feelings aside. There are different types of anxiety disorders. These include panic attacks, obsessive compulsive disorder, and the largest subset of all anxiety disorders post-traumatic stress disorder. Some sufferers of anxiety include actors and actresses like the first African-American female billionaire, Oprah Winfrey, Stephen Colbert, Kim Basinger, Whoopi Goldberg, currently the highest-paid actress in Hollywood, Scarlett Johansson. Also, actors like Harrison Ford, Johnny Depp, and Nicole Kidman. Athletes like David Beckman, Singers like Adele and Barbara Streisand, adventurers like Ernst Shackleton, artists like Vincent van Gogh and Michelangelo, cartoonists like Charles Schultz of Snoopy and Peanuts fame, writers like John Steinbeck and Aunt Emily Dickinson, and scientists like Charles Darwin, Albert Einstein, and Nikola Tesla, even businessmen including Howard Hughes and also Donald Trump. Other leaders like Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln, are also afflicted. The good news is, because of advances in medicine and public education, we have never been in a better position to help people with this challenge. To that end, we have in our studio today David Moran, CEO of Mental Health Partners, an organization that works with other companies and organizations to train them in mental health first aid. David Moran is a father of two grandfather of two, and has a passion for helping others. He owns and manages a family business and mental health education. David has over 40 years' experience in running small businesses in South Australia, from being an owner-operator all the way up to being director of a national and international company. David has trained over 3,000 people in mental health and has used mental health skills to save the lives of many South Australians. David has certificates in mental health first aid, senior first aid, small business management, information technology, recruitment, hospitality, as well as franchise management. David, I want to throw it over to you and have you talk a little bit about anxiety disorders.
4: Sure. So, yes, thanks for that, Matt. I really, really appreciate you giving me the the time. And you're right, I've I've dealt with lots of people who are living with anxiety and they all deal with it and they all experience it in their own way. I was talking to my son just last night who has a very, very serious social anxiety disorder, which is, believe it or not, only the second most common anxiety disorder. And he's having a lot of trouble at the moment hearing Anything positive. His illness has got hold of his thought processes and his mind and it's turning everything he hears into a black, swirling nightmare of negativity. He reads a text message that he sees on his phone saying, I hope you're doing well and he interprets that as it's all my fault. So as I was you know working with him last night trying to say to him, "This is the illness making these these things happen for you. This is not you. This is the illness making these things happen for you." So the illness has changed his thought patterns. It's changed the pathways that his brain is using to make decisions. And he reads or he hears things or he sees things. And instead of seeing them from what they actually are, he sees or hears or interprets them in the absolute most negative way it could possibly be interpreted. And it's not him making a conscious decision to do it. It's the illness doing that to him. And he... You know, at one stage last night tried to apologize to me and say oh look I'm really sorry that that this is happening right now and I said well you, know, you, you don't need to apologize and this is another thing that people with anxiety quite often get is they feel the need to apologize for their behavior or the way they're acting or that all the time and as I said to him last night it's not a matter of apology. If he had a gastrointestinal disorder and he was throwing up or he was you know, having to lie in bed because he was so ill he couldn't get up, he wouldn't need to apologise for that. And it's just the same mm. with his anxiety. It's the illness doing it to him, not him doing it. Mm. And I think that's a really good lesson for people to learn when they're trying to help people with anxiety is to recognize what is the illness doing versus what is the person doing. Hmm.
3: Where where do you feel the line is there? Because obviously if you're helping somebody, um, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I'm asking this as a legitimate question, not in a confrontational way. Old questions, Um, good questions. Well, not really. (laughs) I'll come up with some bad ones for you later if you want. (laughs) But, But seriously, I... I, that, you know, when you're trying to help someone, you know, you've got to walk the line between empathy and, uh, you know, also giving them a little bit of tough love, you know. Um, well, actually, empathy is kind of tough love, I guess. Sympathy would be feeling sorry for somebody. But the point is, you know, you've got to say, hey, listen, this isn't all your fault. This isn't your fault. But they still have to deal with this, have this battle anyway. So. How, how do you, what's, where's the line there? Like, how do you navigate that? Hey, you know, you've got this problem and this is why this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. You know, it's not, it's, you, you know, you're sick, but at the same time you've got to overcome it. You know, how, how do you, how do you, yeah. how do you navigate that? look
4: it, it's a really, really fantastic point, Matt. I really appreciate you, you putting it so clearly because most often A person with anxiety or a person with depression or a person with a psychotic disorder even or a person misusing substances is still a person first. And they really, really don't want these things to be happening to them. And they will work with you on that. So for my son last night, he was absolutely you know, physically and emotionally distraught. He couldn't open his eyes, he was crying, he couldn't think clearly at all for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And I didn't have to go, well, this is the line between showing empathy to him and now he he now, he now needs to take responsibility. He found that line himself. And he Mm. said, okay, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I think I'll do this for a few minutes and then I'll be okay. And he made a choice about what was going to work for him to help him calm himself down. And once he'd done that and was able to come back into the situation that everybody else was in, he was able to behave as if he was just a member of the family again and it wasn't so bad, but he made that decision. He said, okay, this is where I am. I need to do a couple of things to make myself okay, and he did. And So even though he was very, very, very unwell last night, he was able to, with some coaching, just take responsibility for himself. But it wasn't Mm. me finding a line for him. It was him him finding his own line, And that's the difficult thing for people that are trying to help. Quite often you think, how am I going to, you know, and I had this from a lady, you know, less than a week ago, how do I make this person listen? And I said to her, you can't. And she went, Mm. but I, I have to. I said, no, 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 you have to not do that. You have to listen yourself and try and understand them, and he will come around. But if you're trying to make him do things, you're going to fail. Because most people, faced with, you will do this or else, will do something else. Ooh. And that's just human reality.
3: So it's basically the, the Stephen Covey, uh, seven habits, you know, yeah, seek first to understand and then be understood is what you're saying. Yeah,
4: absolutely,
3: and it's amazing that you bring that book up because
4: it's one of the things that my son, in particular, has really, really grabbed hold of, is Ooh. that you know him improving himself is his responsibility, and mm. yeah, it's been a long journey, but it is it is his responsibility to make himself well, and he's doing better at it. But uh, he's still going to have bad days like he did yesterday. Mm.
3: But how do you how do you nudge them towards that realization themselves? Because really, that seems like that's the key is they've got to understand they've got to be their own physician to a point. Um, how, how how do you help them get to that point uh, without hammering them? Yeah.
4: Again, you know, I've had days where I've had to walk away from it. 'Cause I can feel myself wanting to say now just you know, pull yourself out of it, you dumb idiot. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And you know, that's not gonna be helpful. And mm. I've had to walk away and go, mm. Yeah, if I if I honestly can't think of something helpful to say here and I can feel myself beginning to get frustrated, mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. thing for me and for the person who's not well is for me to actually walk away from it. And mm-hmm. then make a decision, either take some time, yes, I can go back and I think I can help again or find somebody else who can help. There's some you know, some people, and I know I've got people in my life, but I just can't help. Mm. That's just true because I'm too, you know, I, I just can't do it for those mm. people. Mm. And so I say to them, you really need some support, but it's not going to be me. Mm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put these things in place for you. So that you can always find support. Um, Because, you know, the way I explain it is if if you've got somebody with a mental illness and they're not feeling okay, and then you put yourself into a situation where you're not going to be okay, Mm. what you've actually done is you've doubled the problem. Mm. You're not going to make that person feel any better and you're going to make yourself feel worse. So you've got twice the problem you started with. So Mm. don't do that. Be honest and say, no, I'm not going to be able to help here and find a different way. Um, Mm. It's it's incredibly frustrating when you're a parent or you're a friend or you're a helper and, you know, you really want to do the right thing uh, you you get into the situation and you go, this is not helping. And it can mm. be incredibly confronting to be honest with yourself and say, yeah, I'm not helping here. Because you, wow. you know, most people want to help. They want to do the right mm. thing. Mm.
3: Wow. That's a, that's a, those are some great insights. Unfortunately, we're going to have to take a quick break uh, and hear from our sponsors. Although we love to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in a few minutes
0: looking for a new coffee machine for your home or workplace look no further than fine choice coffee solutions you're experts in all things coffee why not come in for a chat and a special coffee tasting you'll find us at 264 Gilbert Street in the city mention Radio Italia Uno and you'll receive a free 250 gram bag of freshly roasted coffee beans You can also shop online at www.fccoffee.com.au where you'll find our large range of premium roasted coffee beans, coffee machines, accessories, hot chocolates, teas and lots, lots more. I'm Danielle from Fine Choice Coffee Solutions, your one-stop shop for all things caffeine. I'm Anna Faruja of Chapel Funerals.
2: Join me each Saturday afternoon from 2pm until 5pm with Saturday Sports Scoreboard. No matter what your sports passion, we'll be covering it during our three hours together. I'll be crossing to various sporting events, we'll chat with your favourite sports stars and we'll take your calls. Every Saturday afternoon, 2 until 5, on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.
0: face la musica? Hai voglia di metterti in gioco? Entusiasmo e personalità non ti mancano? Radio Italia 1 sta cercando te. Chiama l'82123177 e anche tu avrai la possibilità di entrare a far parte del nostro team. Radio Italia 1 diamo voce alla tua voce.
1: Radio Italia 1 You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.
3: Hello, and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We're here with David Moran, CEO of Mental Health Partners, a corporation that trains companies and organizations in mental health first aid. In the last session, you made the point that, David, that sometimes, uh, you know, if you don't feel like you're... If you feel like you're getting frustrated, or you're not able to help the person the way you'd like to, or help them help themselves the way that you'd like to, would probably be more accurate. Sometimes you need to back away uh, and 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 not uh, get to a point where you're frustrated, and become part of the problem. Which is, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, probably the reason part that attitude is probably part of the reason you've been able to stay married for 30 years. <laughs> off the topic, but something to do with it. Yeah, but uh, off, uh, it, uh, so it sounds to me not exactly, this is probably not the best analogy, but it's a little bit like, you know, when I learned how to be a lifeguard when I was 16, when I took the life-saving course, you try to help the person by first talking to them to get them to calm down, then you throw them something, uh, then you dive under them and grab them from behind, so you really, you don't put yourself at risk or uh in a situation where you could become part of the problem too and you've got two people drowning. So it's, I guess it's a little bit different because, um, you know, you're still doing it for the person, I guess, in the end, uh, perhaps, uh, whereas they need to actually work through these issues on their own. But I don't know, does that make any sense or am I off the resume? I think your
4: analogy is pretty good. Um, uh, it is it is true that it's slightly off because in that an analogy and I was a lifesaver myself, eventually you're actually the one helping them. But sometimes with mental health first aid, uh, the truth is it's not going to be okay for you to help that person. And it's a really, really brave and honest decision to make. For an individual to go, this person needs help. I really care about this person and I want them to get that help, but I'm not the best person to do that. So, you know, and I've had to do this in my life with certain people. My son's not one of them. Luckily, I am able to help him. But other people in my life, I've had to go, you know what? For whatever the reason, and they're my reasons. And that's fine. I'm not going to be able to help this person, but I don't then go. Well, too bad they can't get any help. I go. Okay. Well, how can I encourage them to seek other help, or how can I find another person I know who could help them? And either of those things are fine as long as you're honest with the person about them. Uh, you know, say to them, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you would you like to try and find somebody else yourself or would you like some suggestions from me? And either of those things will be fine because you would have heard me say, would you like? And it's an asking of permission. Do I have your permission to make a few suggestions? Do I have permission to tell somebody else your story? You know, you ask these permissions So that the person feels comfortable accepting that help from somebody else. And it's, as I said before, it's an incredibly brave and honest thing to say. I'm not the person who's going to be able to help. Especially if
3: it's your child. or or Oh, yeah. I I was just about
4: to say, imagine Mm. the situation where you're the mother of a 14-year-old who's harming herself. Oh, geez. And, and you know, have to say, "I can't help her. I, I honestly, I'm her mother. I love her deeply, but I just can't be the person to help her through this. I'm going to have to let others do that. You know, to make that decision is incredibly mm-hmm. brave, and and mm-hmm. it's be, and we always say it to everybody: it's doing the right." Thing. It's the right mm-hmm. thing for the person who needs help. It's the right person for you. It's a decision for you. It's the right decision for everybody else in your family, in your circle. If you are the healthiest you can be, that will actually make a demonstration to that other person I'm making decisions to keep myself healthy and they'll respect that. Mm-hmm.
3: So with anxiety, uh how? Where's the line where it's actually a a, a, a chronic uh, condition? Because I mean, for example, if somebody's having uh, panic attacks or if they're uh, feeling apprehension about you know what's happening, I mean, where is the line from that to where it's more of a chronic condition? Because I mean, somebody could be going through a divorce, or their wife's got cancer, or I don't know, some other major, <laughs> they're a business person and they're going through this horrible tax audit or or whatever. And obviously, there's going to be some uh, challenges there emotionally. I mean, my understanding of anxiety disorder is it's basically, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is it's your natural uh, fight or flight response uh, is somewhat into overdrive. Like you're, you're, paralyzed by these feelings of worry and fear and these kind of things. So where's the line? Between, how do you know if somebody's just going through a really rough time or they've got a serious medical type condition?
4: Yeah, look, and again, absolutely brilliant question that because anxiety is actually an imperative, uh, an ancient imperative but we know. We all need our anxiety reflexes working for us all day, every day. I'll give you an example. You go outside your office, you're about to cross Sturt Street in the city, and you didn't notice the bus coming down the road. You turn your head, you see the bus, anxiety kicks in and goes, Matt, be well, take care of yourself. We want you to live and not get hit by this bus your muscles are flooded with energy and blood and you quickly move out of the way and you have this big rush of adrenaline to make you move quickly and in in an efficient way and get out of the way of that danger. That's what anxiety is for. Uh, An anxiety disorder is not that. An anxiety disorder first is worse. You have those feelings when you don't need them. Two, they last for longer. So if you've got to get out of the way of the bus, you've got a, you know, briefer than 30-second event. whereas if you've got an anxiety disorder, those feelings are going to last sometimes for hours. And third, they're going to persist over long periods of time. So my niece, who lives with, uh social anxiety disorder and a generalised anxiety disorder, has those sorts of feelings that she's just about to be hit by a bus all the time. They do not stop. They even don't let her get proper rest because the anxiety creates vivid dreams and panic and that while she's asleep. So that's what determines the difference between normal anxiety that we all need and an anxiety disorder. Of course, you and I are not going to diagnose that. That's where you need a professional, um, you know, a mental health professional to diagnose that. Just the same as you and I wouldn't diagnose the compound fracture of a humerus. We would see a broken arm and go, hmm, I think that's broken. but. Uh, a professional orthopedic doctor would actually do the diagnosis and start the range of treatment. The same for mental illness. We mm. might think this person's really not doing so well. We might talk to them and try to help them. But when they actually need to get professional help, that's not you and I. That's a mm. properly Registered medical professional who will actually help them, and that's you know a person that my niece is seeing, a person that my son is seeing, and yeah, they're on their journeys to living
3: well with their illnesses. So, just going on a little bit of a the tangent there that you brought up. So, talk a little bit about how what it's like to live with anxiety. You mentioned that the scale was the social social anxiety. She's can't sleep, she can't, you know, she's scared all the time. I mean, can you expand on that a little bit for the listeners? Sure.
4: She's also one of the bravest people I know because she's a mental health trainer. She's mm. an educator. She teaches education. She is a school teacher. And um, even though... She deals with all those feelings pretty constantly. She gets herself through it. She says, "Okay, that's just the anxiety doing that to me. I can work my way through this. I can get out of bed. I can get up. I can get dressed. I can make myself presentable. I can get to work." You know, and she she drags her way some days through that. I know mm. it's extremely difficult for her to be able to do that some days, but she doesn't. Imagine the courage. Mm. If you're lying in bed knowing that you've had a very, very poor night's sleep, Mm. your anxiety is going round and round in your head telling you that you're not worthy, uh, everybody hates you, the world's against you, to actually get up, go and have a shower, get dressed, and take yourself out into that world where you think every word that everybody's saying to you is putting you down, is making mm. you feel worthless. Mm. Okay? Just to go to the supermarket for some of these people is a terrifying experience because they walk mm. towards the supermarket where they know there's only one exit mm. and more often than not, you have to line up to get out, that, out of that exit. And they walk in there knowing that every single person is saying things like "you're not worthy," "you don't deserve it." Why are you putting that in your cart? That's not healthy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. These people are
3: incredibly brave. That's a, that's an awesome point. Uh, you know, I'm really glad that you brought that up because if you, as I was thinking about it, um, you know, any soldier will tell you that, you know, bravery is not. An absence of fear—it's—it's it's the ability to overcome the fear. In fact, you don't want to be around the guys that aren't afraid because they're going to get you killed. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be around the guys that that uh, you know are afraid but are able to conquer that fear and still function. You know, in a way that helps out the team. You know, and and they'll also tell you. Any soldier will also tell you that you know the first way you break somebody is you don't let them sleep. You know. That's, that's the way you break someone, yeah. you know, is oh, black, yeah. it's sleep deprivation So, uh, yeah, there is a lot of bravery there and, and, and just going through their daily life and, and, and maybe for you and me, the things that they're afraid of, you know, or might seem like something they shouldn't be afraid of or, and maybe they're not things they should be afraid of, but the fear is still real, whether oh, it's, whether it's, you know, uh, a life-threatening situation or not, the chemicals are real. The emotions are real. And they still have to overcome them in the same way. So that's Absolutely. That's, 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 right. an, that's exactly an awesome. Wrong. That's an awesome point that you made before. Now, in in the couple minutes we have left in this session, I just want to understand a little bit about uh, about anxiety uh, disorder. My understanding is, and it could be, I could be completely off on this, is. You know, it can be a genetic issue, um, but it can also be one that's brought on by environment. You know, Uh, and then it's something they've got to deal with after that. So, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, like can they actually uh, cure themselves of it over time if it's one that's brought on by some sort of traumatic event, like abuse or a prolonged illness, or maybe my example of the guy that's just terrified that he's gonna lose everything <laughs> with the tax office or, or whatever. Yeah,
4: so again, really, really interesting. Um, first of all, uh, anxiety is brought on by a, a traumatic event. We would call that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's the most common anxiety disorder in Australia, and it's as common as all the depressive disorders. Almost exactly the same number of people have post-traumatic stress disorders, have all of the depressive or mood disorders. That's how prevalent it is. Now, there is no cures for any anxiety disorder. There are only treatments that encourage and assist people to live well with their illness. There are no cures that we know of for any of these at the moment, okay? Now, all anxiety disorders are going to be slightly different and all people are going to be slightly different. But basically, the best treatments are psychosocial treatments, so cognitive behavioural therapy, talk therapies, those types of things. Yes, some people, my son, for instance, takes medication for his anxiety. He's tried a couple over the last six months, one that wasn't so good, one that seems to be working a bit, but it's only a short-term thing, while he also tries the psychoeducation as well because that is the long-term treatment for anxiety. Psychoeducation, psychological or talk therapies um, and exercises that people can do to make themselves feel okay when normally they'd be
3: thinking, I'm not okay. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break there and pick up with David Moran after a few words from our
1: sponsors. Yo. Ciao. Armando Paradiso from Unique Stone. Delivering quality stone tops to South Australia for over 20 years. Granite. Marble. Caesarstone. Unique stone. Unique stone. Granito, Marmo, Caesarstone, Unique Stone. Thinking stone benchtops to your kitchen, bathroom or furniture? Unique Stone at Jacobson Crescent Holden Hill. Call us now. Eight two double six 2280 Unique Stone. We won't be beaten. Come on, que se facin'? Yo, chiama adesso.
2: When you enter Chiera and Sons Fresh Market and Joanna's Kitchen, it feels just like home. This four-decade young, iconic South Australian business is situated in the Hollywood Plaza, Salisbury. For fresh fruit and veggies, see Tony and Frank and their wonderful staff, offering the finest produce and fine foods, and specials last all year like the Millel Pecorono cheese, just $15.99 per kilo when you buy the entire wheel. Support a family-owned business, drop in to their Hollywood Plaza store or call 828-33-155. That's 828-33-15. Welcome to the family. Join me, Ron Fiedler and Karen Fiedler, each Saturday morning from 9 to 10am for Talking Real Estate. Your guide to real estate in Adelaide and South Australia. We'll bring you the latest local real estate news, interviews, tips and advice from property experts. Plus, report on the Italian property market and let you know about the week's open homes and upcoming auctions.
0: And don't forget, I'll be bringing you my Open Home of the Week
2: on Radio Italia Uno, eighty-seven point six FM, talking real estate every Saturday morning from nine till ten AM. Be in the know with Adelaide's local real estate show.
0: Radio Italia Uno. Sito internet www.italiauno.com.au. Seguici anche sulla nostra pagina Facebook e Instagram.
1: Radio Italia Uno. You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.
3: Hello, and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We're here with David Moran, CEO of Mental Health Partners, which is a corporation that works uh, and teaches other companies and organizations mental health first aid. In our last session, we were talking a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder, and David made the point that it's the number one most common mental illness. And it's more common than all of the other depressive orders combined. And one of the statements that he made that really kind of, uh, I don't want to say distressed me, I guess maybe that's the right word, or flummoxed me or depressed me a little bit, is is that if somebody has an event uh, that triggers post-managed stress disorder or you know like a somebody that's been gang raped or something horrible like that or a a veteran coming back from Afghanistan that there's really no cure it's just the person has to manage it for the rest of their life and it's kind of like the old uh, wives' tale or mother's tale where they say that some wounds never heal Uh, you just have to deal with them and and as best as you can and drive on so um, David am I, is what I'm saying accurate
4: yeah so you are correct there are no known cures for any mental illness at the moment but that's that sounds really bad and you know it can be for some people that there's no cure but there are very effective very plentiful and most often free treatments, treatment centres, treatment professionals out there that will immeasurably improve the lives of most people. So um, what's a a good anecdote? So you mentioned uh, panic attacks before. I was asked uh, four or five years ago to help a, a family Uh, that was experiencing, one of the children in that household was experiencing severe anxiety and severe panic attacks. And she was experiencing those panic attacks mostly in the middle of the night. Now, that, that situation went on for a number of years and it was absolutely terrifying. Terrifying to the point where the child didn't believe that she could be honest about it to anybody because she thought she would be locked up for saying the sorts of things that she was experiencing. Wow, that's that's a good point. Yeah. She, she was experiencing a dream where she would actually, in her dreams, experience slaughtering the family pet. And um, she thought she was going crazy and that if she told anybody, they'd lock her
3: up she'd be dying. I'm sorry to interrupt, David, I, mm. but that just really uh, uh, triggered me as uh, something, a question that i like to say is, what percentage of people are out there that are having that issue? Because I can totally see that, especially for men. I mean, uh, you know, and, and not trying to sound, you know, sexist here, but, uh, you know, boys are told, suck it up, be a man, right. whatever. You know, yep. and, and they don't, they don't want to tell people that, you know, they're having these weird feelings and, and, and visions yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, girls, obviously a lot, a lot of ladies wouldn't either, you know, mm-hmm. but men even more so. I mean, as far yeah. as the, you know, the, it, 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 as a group, you know, because of the way they're raised. Yeah. So, um, so the statistics are very, very have. clear. One in five Australians,
4: Age between 18 and 65, has a mental illness today. And-
3: One one in five?
4: Yeah. Wow, So think about that, 20%, one in five, that sort of number, and a vast majority of those people will be experiencing those sorts of things. So
3: So if one out of, sorry, so if one out of five people have some sort of mental disorder, and, and PTSD is more, is more common than all the rest combined. That means yep. at least one out of 10 people suffer from it.
0: Yeah,
4: it's about one out of 20 for PTSD. Okay. So one out of five people experience any common mental illness today. Mm-hmm. 14, so that's 20%. Three-quarters mm-hmm. of that or 14.4% of that is anxiety. And mm-hmm. just about half of that is PTSD. Wow, look Yeah. So, So about one in 20 people have PTSD today in round numbers. So it's a huge problem. And a lot of people do think that the vast majority of people with PTSD are people who have been first responders or have been in a branch of the services. And whilst it's true that those people... People that are workers, first responders, or work in the armed services have a higher rate of PTSD than the background rate within the public. The largest group of people with PTSD are 15 to 35-year-old females, and they experience their PTSD in a whole range of different ways and for different reasons. There's no blood test that we can give people to say, okay, you're going to go on to experience PTSD the same as we would if we thought they might become diabetic or they might become uh, have some other you know, illness like di- uh, diabetes, asthma, these sorts of things that we can now do genetic tests for. Can't do that for mental illness. So the reality is that all the help is going to be from properly trained professionals and it has to be the people with the illness going and seeking that help. And we were talking before about the frustration of being a parent, it's incredibly frustrating when you can see your child really struggling and having lots of difficulties, but not being willing to Talk openly and honestly with a professional about that. And I know, and I can tell your audience from lived experience, it's taken over eight years for my son to tell me that he's been able to sit down with a treating professional and actually be 100% honest with them and tell them exactly how bad he feels and how dark the thoughts get and how he's tried to self-treat those thoughts with alcohol and how bad that's got so um, yeah everybody with these illnesses is on an individual journey and the best thing you can do is arm yourself with the best information and that's why I do what I do I teach people first aid skills so that they can arm themselves with the Best information and get early intervention. Early intervention has been proven to reduce the lifetime effects of these illnesses, and you know, that's why I do what I do.
2: Wow,
3: we will take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: At Elders Insurance Adelaide East, our mission is to provide outstanding service and superior coverage to each and every one of our clients. With over 30 years of experience, we treat every client with mutual respect and understanding will listen carefully to your specific needs and requirements in order to develop insurance solutions with a level of service and coverage you can't find anywhere else. Elders Insurance Adelaide East is a family owned and run business with Italian tradition which is built on honesty, integrity and trust. Make an appointment today and go and see Tony and the team at Elders Insurance Adelaide East, 54 to 56 Kensington Road, Rose Park or telephone 8364 9477 We're an authorised representative of Elders Insurance Underwriting Agency, Proprietary Limited Elders Insurance, underwritten by QBE Insurance Australia Limited
0: Have you heard of podcasts? Podcasts are like having a personal radio station that people can listen to on demand about topics they are interested in And now thanks to Podcast City you can record your own podcast and have your own on demand radio show You can use our professional recording equipment at the studios of Radio Italia Uno or Podcast City can come to your location with our mobile studio. Podcast City can just record your audio or work with you to plan, record, edit, and distribute your podcast to your audience. If you would like to find out more and receive a free podcast startup checklist or book a time to record your podcast. Call Radio Italia Uno on 821 23 or go to podcastcity.com.au. Podcast City, podcasting the easy way.
2: Hello, I'm Peter Salono. Please join me on Happy Business Radio every Monday, 2 to 3 p.m. on Radio Italia Uno. We have lots of fun with very interesting guests, We talk about how to start, build and increase your business. Happy Business Radio on Radio Italia Uno 87.6 FM.
1: You're listening to Change the World with Matt McQuinley on Radio Italia Uno, 87.6 FM.
3: Hello, and welcome back to Change the World with Matt McQuinley. We're here with David Moran from Mental Health Partners, a company that helps other corporations and organizations by training them in mental first aid. Uh, I just wanted to thank you again profusely for being on the on this call today uh, and on the show. And talking to us about anxiety, which is a big issue that affects, you know, over a million plus Australians. David, uh, thanks again for being here.
4: Uh, Matt, it's been my absolute pleasure. I love uh, talking about these topics. I hope you and your listeners have got something out of it. And, yeah, hopefully we'll talk again soon.
1: Remember to tune in next week at 7 p.m. Adelaide time for Change the World with Matt McQuinley. And as always, I will leave you with a motivational, inspirational brief message.
3: When I was a child and a young man, there was a large debate over what was the most powerful nation on Earth. The Soviet Union or the United States of America? Now the argument shifted a bit to is the most powerful nation on Earth? the United States of America, or China. I submit to you that neither of these is true. The most powerful nation on earth is imagination. It gives us the ability to create something from nothing. I heard years and years ago, an interview with Martin Cooper from Motorola, who said he remembered the exact moment he decided to invent the mobile phone. He was watching an episode of Star Trek, And saw Captain Kirk call Commander Spock. And that's what inspired him to do so. In 1886, Jules Verne wrote a book called The Clipper of the Clouds. A young boy read it and was fascinated by the idea of heavier than air flight. That boy was Igor Sikorsky. And in 1939, he developed and built the world's first helicopter. Jules Verne also wrote one of my favorite books as a child, which was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He wrote it in 1870. In that book, he had a craft that traveled under the ocean and had multiple adventures. Another person who read that book was Simon Lake. And in 1898, because of the inspiration and imagination that this book sparked in him, built the world's first Submarine In the book, Tom Swift and his Electric Rifle, which was published in 1911, the main character, Tom, invents an electric rifle. NASA researcher Jack Cover said this book was the inspiration for him to create in real life, of course, an electric rifle we now call the taser. Arthur C. Clark, in 1945, wrote a story in which he had the idea of satellite communications long before the first satellite was even designed Arthur C Clarke also wrote a book in 1964 where he wrote a short story called Dial F for Frankenstein this story tells of a bunch of phones forming a network with each other other and eventually becoming sentient a kid named Tim Berners-Lee read it and was so impressed with this machine network idea he started an experiment making one then he went to MIT and invented the World Wide Web. The War of the Worlds, written by H.G. Wells in 1897, was read by a 16-year-old boy named Robert Goddard, And that inspired his imagination to create and build the first liquid-fueled rocket. And in 1926, he began and ushered in the space race. H.G. Wells, also in his 1914 book, The World Set Free, which was about harnessing atomic power, inspired the imagination of the scientist Leo Snillard to figure out atomic energy in real life, which led to the creation of the atomic bomb. I could go on and on and on and on, but I'll give you a few more rapid-fire examples. Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 was the inspiration for earbuds and Bluetooth. Star Trek's Transporter which was actually just a plot device to save money in the television show so they didn't have to show a shuttle lining in every episode, inspired scientists in 2017 to actually be able to transport an atom, as well as information, at least 10 times the speed of light. MIT aviation expert Stephen Barrett says he was inspired by the Star Trek shuttle to make the shuttle without moving parts, noise, or exhaust, just as the ion thrusters do in the television show, and he has now done it. The hoverboard in Back to the Future actually created inspired the creator to create one in 2015. The tractor beam in Star Trek inspired both MIT and NYU professors to create one and they have had limited success with it. I could continue on and on and on. It is said that if the mind can conceive it, it can achieve it. Henry Ford said that if you think a thing can be done, and you think a thing can't be done, you're right either way. If the things we have just talked about were merely fantasies a few years ago, were, are not just possible today, but in many, many cases already created, what can we imagine? Change and create in our own lives. And I know for a fact there are two kinds of people listening to me right now. The ones that say, Matt, that's crazy. That'll never happen. That can't be done. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always been for me. That's the way it's always been. And then there's the kind of person who is imagining a better future for themselves and others and who realizes if he or she can conceive it, He or she can achieve it and they can make their dreams come true and perhaps even change the world for the better. The question is always is, which one are you?